I had a guy like you on the field one time. He blew himself to pieces, but not before his humor cost the lives of three very fine individuals. I hope you shut your f***ing hole. You're in Southeast Asia now, pal. You got your cushy little assignment. There's nothing I can do about that. In time, you will make me forget it. You stay out of my way, there'll be no problem. But if you toy with me, I'll burn you so bad you'll wish you died as a child. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is, wait, you haven't seen? And it's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 149, and our movie this week was the 1987 Robin Williams classic, Good Morning Vietnam. Here to talk with me about it, because somehow he'd never seen it before, Stephen Adams from Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. Stephen, how are you? Good evening, Travis. I'm great. I'm having a wonderful time. Thank you for having me on this show. Absolutely. Always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, so, okay. You'd never seen this before. How did that yeah. How did that come about? Like, Because I know you're a Robin uh, Williams fan. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm like most people. I know the Good Morning Vietnam shout. Mm-hmm. I've used it on soundboards before. But I don't know if it just wasn't the the time the timing. Uh, it's a old it's older movie for me, you sure, know. Sure. Uh, I I didn't for some reason it's just never been on my radar. And there's a handful of classics from the '80s that are that are that way. But this one just I never had anyone driving me to see it in the sense that no. When I said, "Hey, you want to watch Good Morning Vietnam?" Nobody was like, "Yes." <laughs> so I kind of just floated along, having not seen it and really not thinking about it, till you and I had mentioned it several times over right. our history, and uh, we finally decided to make it happen. And I'm I'm very thankful that we did. Yeah. So this was a movie. This is a movie that I have a little bit of a personal tie to. I did not see it. Uh, in, I mean, in 1987 when it came out, I was six years old, so I didn't see it then. Uh, I saw it a few years later, actually in school. The my eighth grade U.S. history teacher got a release for all the parents and showed us this movie. He was a Vietnam vet, and so he had a personal connection to it. He's like, you know, obviously it's Hollywoodized. It's not exactly what happened, but Adrian Cronauer was a real person, a real DJ in Armed Force Radio Service, and so he wanted us to kind of see this and sort of see at least an idea of what it was like in, in some ways. And he's, you know, he, he made it a point to be like, look, this isn't exactly how it was. The real guy wasn't exactly like this. It's, it's, you know, told it's a story, but he felt that it was a good representation. And he felt that it was something that, uh, kids, uh, even kids our age at that time would connect with enough. So that was my first time seeing it. it was an eighth grade U S history class. We watched it over two days. Um, that's because impressive, considering the amount of f bombs that are dropped in this movie. Yes, uh, which <laughs> he definitely had to get. Uh, there were a couple kids in the class that didn't watch it. Right, their parents wouldn't sign off. Um, that happens, but uh, it was it was really really cool. And then from then on, like I had already I was already a Robin Williams fan at that point. I had seen Aladdin. I had seen uh, you know other things with him. Uh, Fern Gully was another one. Yeah, and, but. Watching this, and then as I've gotten older, I realized this is sort of 
if not the first, one of the early kind of Robin Williams formula movies, mm-hmm. right? The, those movies like um, Dead Poet Society, uh, Patch Adams, um, in those movies where it's he plays a zany character, but he's got a lot of heart to him. There's stuff that goes on. Like that formula of movies, which Jack was another one. Um, yeah. Whether you like those movies or not, uh, some of them are really good. I think this is a really good example of how that movie can be. Um, because, you know, watching this for the first time, I got to ask, did you kind of notice and feel sort of the flip in the movie about an hour in? Yes. <laughs> I wrote it down. I wrote the tone shift of where this isn't a stand up comedy routine for two hours. Nope. This has some meat on its bones. And uh, I forgot what the, the moment was. It was the bomb. It was the yeah. bomb is where it completely flipped. Uh, from being just a movie about a funny guy who does radio in Vietnam to a movie about Vietnam, uh, and the the intense and that's that's where Robin Williams gets to flex too, because mm-hmm. I mean it'd be, up to this point Robin Williams had done Popeye, a whole bunch of stand up, Mork and Mindy, and then like a, a handful of movies in between. But this movie, like you said, is where the Robin Williams formula is born. This is where. Everybody's like, ha, ha, Robin Williams is so funny. And then they're like, holy crap, he's got some dramatic chops. Yeah. Like, he can do this. Yep. And it was it was really impressive. But yeah, that, that flip, I was, I was not prepared. <laughs> I was not prepared. Yeah, because uh, I had mentioned that this was the movie this week, and Amy had said, um, you know, oh, th- this is a movie that I used to only watch half of. I'm like, I can get that. Like, that, that, at that one hour mark, it goes from being zany fun to some pretty heavy stuff. And yeah. it can be kind of rough. It's it's a really good... It, it, I love... like One of the things I always loved about Robin Williams was his dramatic ability mm-hmm. and how good he was with that. And as his career progressed, he started really trying to break type. That was where things like One Hour Photo and Insomnia and those <laughs> movies that he did where it was just... He was going so far in the other direction um, that... that I like this kind of movie. I love this. I love the birdcage is another one that for me is like that, where he's playing zany, he's playing crazy, but then he'll have those dramatic moments and you, you really feel for it. And Mm -hmm. it's so hard, right? Like nobody for a long time would take Jim Carrey seriously when he would try to do that in a movie. Um, Even when he did like in its time, the Truman show was not as looked at as a good acting performance from him as it really is. Um, yeah. And Robin Williams was somehow able to like not fall into that trap too hard. And he's got, I mean, he's arguably crazier than, than Carrie in his comedy because it's so rapid fire and it's so just, just pop culture reference after pop culture reference. Like it's, it's kind yeah, of impressive. It, it, Jim, Jim Carrey and, and he, they're in, they're in like the same ballpark, but they're in completely different sections. Mm-hmm. Like Carrie, Carrie, the reason it's hard for him to sell is because he's overacting most of the time. Like he's embellished facial expressions, wild gestures. Mm-hmm. Robin Williams is much more just rapid fire delivery. Yes. So for some reason that's, it's easier for us to see him when he's dramatic, when, when Car- Jim Carrey goes to be dramatic, you're, you're, it's, it's def- it's more gears are shifted. I think you're having to like really like dial it down. They're both fast, but they're both fast in different ways. Yeah. And I, I do think that some of it was that, I mean, this was 1987. 
So, uh, like you had mentioned, up to this point, Robin Williams had done Popeye. He had done, you know, he was most known for his stand-up and for Mork and Mindy. But he had done a couple of movies prior to this. So he, but this was still, it was relatively early on in his career. And he continued doing it for so long. Whereas I I feel like Jim Carrey, it took him longer to get to the point where he's like, I'm going to do something with a little more dramatic chops to it. It wasn't all going to be Ace Ventura and The Mask. And Dumb and Dumber. And I think <laughs> I think that's another thing, too, is his brand of humor, while not necessarily any cleaner or any less juvenile um, than Robin Williams' humor, it, Robin Williams' humor, for some reason, felt like it was higher brow, even though a lot of his yeah. jokes aren't. I mean... The silliness factor. Yeah. There's a, there's a silliness that people will handle. Um, Tommy Lee Jones may have said it best surrounding Jim Carrey when he said, I will cannot sanction your buffoonery. Yes. Uh, and that's, that's like the best way to put Jim Carrey, your buffoonery. Yes. Um, that, that's, that's the separation, I think. The silliness. And what I liked about this movie was it's, it's essentially a vehicle for Robin Williams, but he's not the only thing about this movie that's good or memorable. The, the rest of this cast is incredible. They're so good. Um, yeah, they're got, they're so good. You've got Robin Williams, but uh, Forrest Whitaker as Edward Garlic, and a, a I love everything young, he's in. He's great. Yeah, I was shocked. I was shocked. <laughs> Not only that, he's like, basically where did this guy come from? yeah, he's the hero of the movie because he's who gets Cronauer back on the radio. Mm-hmm. Without him, Adrian just continues to wallow away, drinking uh, Vietnamese beer and playing with shrimp forever. Um, Vietnamese beer with formaldehyde in it. <laughs> that 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 really caught me up. Like formaldehyde. Okay, that's what we're gonna do. Oh. And Forrest Whitaker's just like well, you get used to it. Yeah. Like wait, what? I love. This is what to get used to it. So there was talks at one point uh, a few years after this for there to be a sequel to this movie, and it was going to be called Good Morning Chicago, and it was going to follow um, Adrian Cronauer in uh, the 1968. Democratic convention, I think, or something along those lines. Yeah. Number one, I'm glad it didn't happen um, because I don't think this movie needed that. But if you were going to do any kind of a follow-up to this movie, it needed to star uh, Forrest Whitaker's Edward Garlic and what he did after yeah. Vietnam. Because he sort of takes the torch from Cronauer at the end, which I thought was cool. But I just liked his character because he's so goofy. He's so silly. But, but there's something about Forrest Whitaker that just like is endearing you just like him just love him i just love him i can't not like him yeah i mean that's exactly it now uh robert wall um as marty lee drywitz uh he he is an actor who i think tries to be obnoxious because he has that horribly (laughs) obnoxious laugh right he's playing that character and so he he drives you up a wall but that's on purpose which is why i can (laughs) deal with it like it's right. not like he's accident. He's not backing into that. He's consciously making these decisions to make this character that annoying. He did the same thing in Batman 1989, a couple years later. Yes. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Forgot he was in that. Yeah. Uh, Bruno Kirby, though, uh, Lieutenant Hauk, he's he's an unsung member oh, of this man. cast, too. He has the hardest job in this movie, which is because, okay, J.T. Walsh is Sergeant Major Dickerson, who is awesome. He is J.T. Walsh is so good in this. And he was such a good character actor at being just that that jerk, that guy you could mm-hmm. not stand. If he showed up in a movie, you're like, I don't like him, and I don't trust him. Um, but he gets to play that note. 
and he gets to do that throughout the movie. Bruno Kirby, though, kind of has to be the foil to Robin Williams. And like the I want yeah. to be funny guy, like I have been Bruno, uh, Sergeant Hauk or Lieutenant Hauk, where you want to be funny, <laughs> you think you're funny, and you're just you're just not. Um, yeah, the scene right before he goes <laughs> on the air it kills me every time I watch this movie. <laughs> My jokes are good. Everybody's like, "No, they're not." Like, yes, they <laughs> so, are, sir. I'm begging you. You know don't this do person, <laughs> and you know this person. Like everyone knows this person that just believes. They are a thing, and everyone's trying to just be like, you know, your good friends are telling you, no, you're not the thing. But I, it really just encapsulated the whole thing when he talks to the uh, the, uh, the the Dickerson. At that one point, he goes, in my heart, I know I'm funny. Oh, or it's yeah. Taylor. He might have yeah, been talking to General Taylor. Yep. Yeah, it's, uh, in my heart, I know I'm funny. <laughs> and it's like, you don't get to decide if you're funny. <laughs> That's not a thing that you or I get to do. We just throw it out there. And if people think it's funny, then I'm funny. Otherwise, no, I'm, yes. I'm not. And the thing that also stands out is that he tried to do Robin Williams' shtick. Uh-huh. You never do. You never do the no. other person's shtick because you're never going to do it as well. And he, they, I'm just like cringing at him making voices and stuff. Like you're doing his bits. <laughs> trying. Worse. He's trying so hard. And yes, <laughs> now Bruno Kirby himself, he is funny. He is very funny. Yeah. If you remember him in City Slickers, um, he was hilarious. Oh, yeah. That. Yeah. Uh, was that Bruno Kirby in City Slickers? Holy moly. Yep, that was. Gosh, um, I'm going to have to look him up because I've, I've probably seen him a million times because I recognize his face. I just couldn't place him anywhere. He, he's a lot uh, thinner in this than he was in City Slickers. He had put on some weight by then. Like he'd filled out a little bit. He's probably most okay. known for um, The Godfather Part 2. He was in that. Yeah. Uh, I love the quote he had, which was people, um, he, he always said that Good Morning Vietnam was his favorite movie that he had worked on, but fans always wanted him to say The Godfather Part 2. Um, yeah. which I mean, I kind of get it, but like he definitely, you can tell, you can tell he's having fun in this and he's, it's hard to play awkward like that. Like it's yes. one of the things I've always thought of is like when you're good at something, it's hard to pretend to be bad at that thing. You know, it's like watching <laughs> a, a, a movie where, um, you know, an actor is actually a good guitar player, but they have to play a bad guitar player or a musician is in your yeah. show or movie and they have to like, that's hard to pretend to be bad at something that you are good at. And so for him, he's, he's being funny, but he has to pretend to be not funny and like oblivious of his not being funny, which is really hard. To, and he just, I mean, he kills it. That, that briefing scene gets me every single time when he comes <laughs> in. And he's just, you know, he's immediately dressing him down for like his musical tastes and, and all the stuff. And just, ah, uh, I love that. But you're right. The, the scene with General Taylor is the one that seals it because mm-hmm. that's where it proves he has no, he has no self-awareness. Of no, I wrote down Dunning, I wrote down Dunning Kruger on my notes. <laughs> I love that. Like he, he has no, he has no idea how bad he is at the thing he thinks he's good at. <laughs> That's great. He's like he keeps he laser focuses in on the choices of polka music, and the general's like, "It doesn't matter. I don't care if you play polka or not. That's not the point. <laughs> That's not what we're after here." Yeah, I, but I actually wrote down a, a quote because um, he was getting all that that hate mail from all the <laughs> yes. troops. Yes, <laughs> I actually chuckled, and I'm pretty sure Forrest Whitaker chuckled on, on like 
out of character at sucks the sweat off a dead man's balls. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> it oh. laughed so hard. Yeah. Oh man, that, those those scenes were great. Uh, now we mentioned General Taylor and Noble Willingham, who played General Taylor. Oh, gosh, he also was in City Slickers. Yeah. Um, what? I, I just I just looked up City Slickers. I'm like, yes, that was Bruno Kirby. Yep. But you're right. He put on weight and a mustache. He's unrecognizable from this character. Yes. Completely different. Uh, Noble Willingham, though, as General Taylor, steals every scene he's in. Just just takes it. Puts it under his arm and just walks out of the room with it. Like, this is mine. I'm just taking this one. <laughs> he's so, <laughs> so good. And he's he's got that ability. And he did this in City Slickers as well. He did this in a lot of stuff. He's got that ability to have that kind of redneck twang and saying that just yeah. just, just like hits you perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, his His quote about Nixon is great, where he's like, uh, what did he say? He uh, actually, I captured it, so I'll play it later. Um, okay, yeah, good, good. But uh, like that, or just the way he was, and and he's the general. So as he said, he's the tallest, you know, tallest hog at the trough. And mm-hmm. yeah, he wants he wanted Cronauer there, and he was backing him right up until he just couldn't. Um, sure, but he, oh, I just loved him in this. He's and he's only in it he's- for a few minutes. Yeah, but it, every like you said, every scene he's in, he steals, and he's got that what what viewers see as an American general swagger. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just and and vocal performance, like whatever he's doing there with the the southern drawl thing. That is just the way us and everyone in the world views American military. Yep. <laughs> like every military leader's always got that kind of feel feel yes. to them. Um, but yeah, he's he was he was absolutely phenomenal, and I love I love that he was our example of a a ranking officer that like was balanced mm-hmm. because you've got so much everyone else that's higher the higher rank than the radio crew yep. is a dirtbag, <laughs> so you've got like there there are people at the top that are humans, mm-hmm. uh, and I think I liked that kind of it was everything he argued was reasonable. Yes. Everything the other two guys were arguing was very structure uh, oriented, and like this is how it works. And he's just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I don't care. This people is are what having I want. fun. Yeah, I got. He's like, I got boys out here ready to die. Let them listen to whatever they want to listen to. And that that's the part that I was like all in on. I'm like, okay, he realizes what's at stake here mm-hmm. and what really matters. They're looking at the regulations. Yep. And going, this is what I've been told, and I'm going to follow the rules. And he's like, that's what you were told, but this is what matters. And that that's a really cool thing to look at in this movie. Well, and again, that's that Robin Williams formula of movies, where Robin Williams' character always has like one or two steps above him that are rigid to the rules, and they don't allow for any fun, or they don't allow for whatever zany yeah. antics he has. And then there's the one person that's usually either above them, or is like the old retired person that still has sway that is this exact general taylor character and yeah um i'm trying to think of patch adams was the one that i remember the most for that because there was uh who was it that played him um let me find it because it's gonna bug me until i know uh but he um bob gunton was the dean of the medical school and he was the one that had it in for Patch Adams. But it was, uh, I think it was Harvey Presnell, maybe, um, played uh, the old 
the old man that oh, yeah, he dealt yeah. with, where he was like, you know, have you uh, have they have they taught you proctology yet? Yeah, so you can deal with this asshole, <laughs> um, like that guy. <laughs> and and so um, there's always that character in here. And in this one, he this is one of my favorite versions of that character mm-hmm. and that trope is General Taylor, because he just cracks me up every single time. And the radio yeah. crew, all of them were fun. Whether it was, yeah. uh, you know, I, I mentioned uh, Marty Lee. Um, he's just being obnoxious and being annoying. Dan the Man Levitan. I loved him. He's, he was horrible to listen to, but it was like that Paul Harvey vibe. Like, it's okay. Like, you don't really like it, but at the same time, you're not going to turn it off. And the best part about that character is that every time he's not on the air and you're seeing clips of him during the montages or when they're at the bar, he's like loosey-goosey, he's having fun, he seems like just a normal dude. But then he, when he goes into his radio mode, all of a sudden, he talks very succinctly and he oh, yeah. uh, trips over his... like All of that was so great because, oh. again, that's a hard thing to do, but Richard Portnow just nails that. Mm-hmm. Every it's the training. Time. You you see him fall into his radio yep. training. Like <laughs> exactly. that's that's classic radio. Enunciate. Make sure your periods are periods. Mm-hmm. You know, like you've, you've got to if you if you flub, walk it back, fix yep. it. Go. You know, and it's it putting him next to next to um, Cronauer, like as the as the two different. It's like how do you pass? How do you catch that pass? How do you have somebody <laughs> over there? Like going nine hundred miles an hour, and then be like, and now we're gonna Dan the Man Levitan, and it throws it over. It's like, good afternoon, thank you, Cronauer. Yes, today in the news, you're like, what? It's so good. Oh, flash from that switch. It's so good. He he was a ton of fun, and I mentioned JT Walsh, but if you want a bat, if you want somebody to butt heads with, and you want a villain, and the clip I played at the start of the show, that's like his first moment or second moment in the movie. And he immediately, you just, you hate him, right? Because he's... Yeah, right out of the gate. And not only that, but like, he he genuinely tries to set up Cronauer. The character of Dickerson tries to set up Cronauer to have a, a problem. And pro- he's probably hoping that he gets killed or captured by the Viet Cong on that road. You think? I mean... I mean, that seemed to me the entire point was maybe he... I'm like, that's... That's like next level terrible. Like you, that's not even like oh, I'm gonna get him shipped off. That's worse than Sergeant Bilko in the Antarctica stuff, which I, I had in my head while I was watching this. Oh, I yeah. had to do that another time. But yeah, but like that was that, that, what you just sent a man to die, and it's worse because this is a real conflict, like in history. And mm-hmm. you're like you have all these ideas in your head about what it was and how it was dealt with and what happened, and you're thinking he's sending a man down a road knowing it's like and asks multiple times to the radio engineer on the other end yeah like hey that road's bad right yeah that road's incredibly hazardous we don't want to do it so you shouldn't travel it it's really bad like (laughs) people it could be real bad yes it's terrible don't go down it it's awful and then immediately puts the phone and goes like yeah yeah get him a 24-hour pass Mm -hmm. uh so he can take that road like f you what what the devil these two and sending sending garlic with him like garlic didn't do anything. Yeah, you can't even willing to get two people killed or shot. No, I don't think so. And and that's the worst part of it too. Like it's bad enough he does it to Cronauer, but then he also knows that Cronauer is not going by himself. He knows garlic or someone like garlic is going with him, uh, which is why yeah. he, you know he gets his comeuppance in a way because he gets shipped off to Guam after that. And that's a great. And I, I that's a that that left Taylor with one of the best quotes in the movie. 
because uh, he tells he tells Dickerson, uh, "You're not crazy. You're mean." Yep. This is just radio, mm. and it it just put him in his place. That I, I wrote that one down because that one struck me as like he's basically saying, "Yes, you're a sergeant major. Yes, you're important." This is radio. Mm-hmm. Calm down. Yeah. And sends him to Guam completely out of the conflict, which is the last place a person trying to rise through the ranks wants to be. They want to be in the crap, doing the job. Oh, yeah. And it's, and it's, it's a good punishment because he doesn't deserve – if he's willing to send a person to die because they do a, a radio show he doesn't <laughs> like, what's he going to do with actual troops with guns out in the, the jungle, you know? Yeah, well, uh, and they do sort of foreshadow that at the beginning when Garlic says he has some sort of social disease. Yeah, I love that. Which was a pretty good one. Um, yeah, so and now, now Robin Williams is Adrian Cronauer, uh, and I mentioned how it's embellished a little bit. The actual yeah. living Adrian Cronauer. So this this movie started off as Adrian Cronauer wanted to make like a, a sitcom or like a television series around this, and he pitched it, and no one wanted it. So he took it, he reworked that into a, like a movie of the week type thing and pitched that. Uh, and somehow or another, that treatment ended up getting to Robin Williams. And that's how the genesis of all this got started. But one of the things, because again, it's, it's Hollywood, it's embellished. It's not exactly the way the story was told or even how things went. Somebody asked him what he thought of the movie. And he said, honestly, I liked it. He's like, um... Was, I was very happy with it. Of course, it was never intended to be an accurate point-by-point biography. So he, this is the man himself saying that. Um, it was intended to be a piece of entertainment, and Robin Williams is playing a character named Adrian Cronauer who shared a lot of my experiences. Uh, because he's Cronauer is the only actual like real person in this movie. The rest of the characters yeah. were were like stereotypes and of people that he met throughout his time. And mm-hmm. you know they they said. Uh, like the real Adrian Cronauer didn't get shipped off because of something that happened. He just ended his tour and they sent him on his yeah. way. Um, but he, I, I like the fact that he appreciated kind of what they did and wasn't upset or anything that they, you know, of stuff that got changed. He's like, it was supposed to be a, an entertaining story and they, they made an entertaining story. And I, I like that. Um, because when you watch this, you sort of, get that feeling like this, this can't be real. And I think he even said at one point, he's like, yeah, uh, if I had done half the stuff that Robin Williams character did, I'd still be in Leavenworth. Um, yeah. Court martialed. I think is yeah. what he said. I'd be court martialed in Leavenworth. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think the, uh, the only thing he said was that um, the film somewhat made him seem anti-war and he really wasn't. He was more right. anti-stupidity. Yeah. He didn't want to do it. Stupid wars. Mm-hmm. He just, you know, that was his thing. Yeah. Um, and, and I kind of, when I watch it now, I kind of get that feeling because it doesn't seem as though the Adrian Cronauer of the movie is against the war. He's just like, look, this is ridiculous. And, uh, the army is ridiculous and I'm going to poke fun at that because that's just going to help morale. Yeah. Like the troops are good. There's nothing wrong with them. It's the up, it's the brass that have, that mm-hmm. have all the problems. So I, that's, that's the feeling I, I always got from it. I didn't actually pick up on anti-war. I picked up on mm-hmm. anti, like anti-killing 
<laughs> like, like you know what I mean? Like, there's a difference between war and just killing. Yeah. And he wasn't all about bombs going off and innocent people getting shot. And, like, the looks he looks at, the, the thing that resonated with me a lot was when he gets stopped at the, the checkpoint, and that's when garlic is, or not checkpoint, but when the traffic jam yeah. with all the troops in the back of the trucks. And garlic's like, hey, you know who I got here? I got Cronauer, and he has to do his show. Yeah. Because you not to turn this on you and me, but we like to entertain on the internet with podcasts. Sure. If we got put in that position, it would take everything in our power not to smile and show up for people who are there. You know what I mean? So uh -huh. you feel you feel that for him. It's like, yeah, he's gotta he's gotta do it. He can't help it. It's an audience. Well and, and um Go ahead. Uh, now, I was just going to say that the part that, that struck me is him looking, getting everyone's name, and as they drive off, knowing that a lot of those boys, because let's be serious, this is 18 to 22-year-old uh, men, yep. aren't coming aren't coming back. And you can, it, that's one of those masterpieces of visual storytelling that they don't have to say it, but with the camera and with the emotion of the actors, you know that's what he's thinking. Mm -hmm. I have to entertain Absolutely. these people because they're going to war and I might not come back. Uh, so that's where... Again, with the, the tone flip, it's you, you start real funny, 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 it flips, and then it ping-pongs for a while. Yep. <laughs> like you, 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 this is really entertaining. This is tragic. This is really entertaining. This is tragic, and it's done really, really well. Yeah, and apparently uh, that, that scene wasn't originally written into the movie. They added that while they were filming because Barry Levinson, the director, realized they needed some sort of scene like that to kind of get him back mm -hmm. on the air. Yeah. And it's perfectly done. And you can, I mean, it's signposted, you can see it coming, but like Garlic is, Garlic won't let him go. And as soon as they start driving and you see the military truck stop, you can kind of, even if you haven't seen it before, you can kind of see something's coming. But it's such a yeah. brilliantly done scene. And it fits mm -hmm. so perfectly. I don't care that it's tropey. The whole, this whole movie is tropey. I don't care. It works. It works so well. And again, it's Robin Williams being able to be dramatic and then turn on the funny. And it's Adrian yeah. Cronauer realizing, okay, I'm not getting out of this, but then starting to talk to these boys and seeing firsthand how his, his what is important that why it's important that he's on the air. Yeah, and yeah, I really I just dug that a whole lot. Uh, the thing, another thing about that scene too is we're we're used to seeing war movies that are starring thirty plus year old men. You know, yeah. in, in roles for stuff like particularly World War II movies. I mean, Band of Brothers is an absolute treasure. But, I mean, these actors were in their late 20s, 30s playing these characters. Yeah. And in all reality, most of the people at war are 18 and 18 through 22, 25. Mm -hmm. They're young people. And it's I think it's it's good to see that accuracy portrayed in a movie, particularly about Vietnam. That was such a, a disaster and so many people's minds like it's just such a a rough time and seeing it like you're like oh dang those were like basically kids <laughs> yeah you know well and i like too that most of the um actors in those scenes because they shot a lot of this movie in thailand um mm -hmm. are non-american actors and so there was a few of them there was a lot of them that didn't speak english but they were able to react because of just the the, the energy that robert williams had in his comedy in doing that yeah. scene they were able to react and laugh just to that um, so I thought that was kind of cool. There's some, there's some weird stuff or not weird, but there's some like kind of behind the scenes things that I thought was interesting. Like, um, seeing the Beatles album a couple times, you see help. 
<laughs> you see him grab that yeah. off the shelf, but you never hear the Beatles. And I'm sorry, like in 1965, he would have been playing the Beatles. Now, the reason they didn't is because musical rights for the movie, they couldn't afford them or get them something. Oh, yeah. So there were no songs played by them. But uh, Rolling Stones was another one I was surprised he didn't play any. Um, yeah. But I think that, kind well, of a that similar was... thing. Yeah, that's likely. Uh, they did some Beach Boys, right? And they did some Polka. Beach Boys. I mean, what well, the point really at the end of the day wasn't about the music being played anyway. So no, it was it's... easy to just kind of skirt past it. But this... yeah, you're right. If you if you wanted to treat this like a story about a DJ, you would expect a better soundtrack. But I thought it was I thought it was cool that they at least slipped that in there where he's got like the Beatles album a couple of times and you see him. I think it's funny that uh, from just like a, a film logic standpoint. If they didn't want that music being played, why was it even in the room in the first place? I thought, I love that. Like, yeah. So you don't want to look through all that stuff, and he's just rifling through and throwing records back and forth. Um, so I, that always cracked me up. Um, <laughs> now, Barry Levinson. Okay. Are you familiar with Barry Levinson as a director by name? Does that name sound familiar to you? The name is familiar, and I'm sure I've seen a lot. Oh, okay. We got Rain Man and Wag the Dog. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm familiar. I've heard his name plenty of times, but I'm never, like, I'm not a Barry Levinson fan. So he's done kind of, he's got a, an interesting uh, filmography in that um, his first major movie was Diner uh, back in 1982. But he did Young Sherlock Holmes, which I actually just rewatched recently. Um, that movie's better than a lot of people give it credit for. Um, I think it's pretty really? cool. Plus, that movie has a cool distinction of being the, the first fully CG character in a film was in Young Sherlock Holmes. Are you in eighty five? Yeah. Ooh. There's a there's a scene in that movie with a stained glass window that uh, gets broken, and then the and it's got a uh, it's in a church, and then the stained glass forms up into a knight, and that knight attacks a priest. It's a it's a weird. There's like hallucinations going on, uh, but that was the first fully CG character. Um, oh, in that's movie. awesome. But he did Bugsy, uh, Toys, Avalon, um, Rain Man. You mentioned Rain Man's a good one. Sphere, yeah. but that's not, you know, look, they can't all be winners. I didn't. Toys. I, toys. <laughs> toys. Boy, um, oh boy. Do we want to talk about a movie that you think is for a kid because it's called Toys and it's <laughs> definitely not? No, that one is not. That one is not. That's Wag the Dog is a movie. good one, though. Wag the Dog is a really good one. He, Barry Levinson has an interesting uh, style in that this movie kind of is mm-hmm. a lot like him, uh, is a lot like his other movies. Um, yeah. He does these things really well. Uh, Robin Williams must have enjoyed working with him because he worked with him again on Toys and then Man of the Year. Yep, back in two thousand six. So he must he must have just had a good relationship with him in general. Probably. I That's mean, cool. Yeah. Any for Robin Williams, I'm sure any director that'll let him ad lib because he ad libbed all the stuff on air. All that sure. all that frantic stuff on air is just Robin Williams going crazy. I'd love to see some of the outtakes and some of the alternate takes of that stuff because you know it's gold. Um, oh, yeah. So that probably played into it. If you know, I'm sure Levinson is just like, yeah, Robin, do your thing. And uh, Well, that was, I mean, that was one of the reasons that Robin was attracted to the role in the first place. They thought mm-hmm. that would be a really great showcase for his comedy, but also a good place to put his, to tr- test out his drama skills. Because I read that whole Robin biography, which is phenomenal, uh, if you can get it, I was like a 450 page book. I read it in three days. Oh, wow. It's that good. Um, it's a really great story, but yeah, this one of the whole, the whole thing he was trying to figure out how to fit into movies and where he belonged and that the, 
the radio stuff was part of the the draw for him because they're like we can use him because he can do all the comedy stuff we don't have to write it down yeah this will be perfect you know and then he gets the dramatic parts of it too and i liked too how the drama aspect of the movie and the stuff that happens outside the radio room while it was they kept it very simple they didn't dive too Mm -hmm. much into any particular thing uh they didn't they really didn't make it pro or anti-vietnam war either Mm -hmm. it no it's just about characters yeah i mean it poked fun at the army but it was cronauer making jokes during his broadcasts or kind of the ridiculousness of some of the stuff that would be in the under the regulations but like it's it's interesting that that they did that in this movie because this you know 1987 we were still in the period of time where we were in the fallout of Vietnam and a lot of movies didn't give the especially the military like a, a glowing light in a lot of ways because mm-hmm. um, this is still in that era of like Rambo uh, the first Rambo movie we're sort of starting to get uh, and and I I touched on this a couple weeks ago when we did Universal Soldier where that movie started off with um, it was going to have a very kind of government secret plot military thing going on that they were going to go heavier with. And because that movie came out post-Desert Storm, they reworked some of that and made the the army less of an antagonist in the film than it was originally intended. And I just thought that was kind of cool to have a movie that's about Vietnam that didn't really take a stance one way or the other. And just sort of mm-hmm. like was there. And like you said, it's about the characters. And all the conflict was between individuals. Um, and I, I appreciated that. I also liked that they, they have the jokes and the stuff in the beginning with uh, the character of Trin and Robin uh, and Cronauer kind of trying to date her and see her. Yeah. But he doesn't continue to pursue that in like a in an overly aggressive way. He, he sort of comes to yeah. grips with like, like, I know it's not going to happen. I just want to have a friend thing. Yeah, I just want somebody to hang out with while I'm here that's not these army guys. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Which very easily it's... they could have tried to shoehorn in some sort of romance there. And they didn't really overplay yeah. that. No, it, it definitely... It felt weird to me. Like, that was... That, that part was the least interesting aspect of the whole movie. I know that it was necessary to for him to meet her brother. Mm-hmm. And for that the whole storyline there to take place. But after he meets the brother, she kind of doesn't matter all that much to me. Um, and I also didn't, I didn't really understand the, the hot pursuit. <laughs> like, <laughs> like there's, you know, like what you just saw her, like, and it wasn't like a, a big fish moment of like, that's the woman I'm going to marry. It was just, it was just kind of like, there's a Vietnamese lady and I want to talk to her real bad. So bad that I will rent this bike drag poor garlic all the way across the city with no rubber on his tires like i was that entire scene gave me anxiety by the way i was struggling and the camera shakiness did its job um Uh which is to make you uncomfortable and i'm like oh my gosh i'm gonna die because i felt like i've been garlic before Mm -hmm. that crazy friend that you're just trying to keep up with and i'm like this is this is the worst i should just go home but i have to stay with him but there's there's a lot of that pursuit that just didn't 
it didn't necessarily work for me. I didn't find it believable. I'm glad they buttoned it up the way they did and everything, but it was it was it was tough on me. I mean, he's supposed to be all these other guys are horn dogs. And he's like, just wants this platonic relationship with this one lady he sees on the street. Well, so it didn't start that way, though. I mean, he started off sure. as the horn dog, but it was it was him, it was him coming to the realization that he didn't need to keep pursuing her as anything beyond just kind of I want to be friends and keep doing the class and teaching the class, mm-hmm. um, and be friends with her brother. That I liked it. Because, again, they could have, like, it started off as the pursuit and the romantic interest, but he gave that up fairly quickly mm-hmm. uh, in, in like, the sort of evolution of that. I just liked that because that wasn't something that feels different than most movies do. Most movies would have kind of continued the romantic pursuit and he would have kept trying sure. or kept trying to position himself as a good guy and maybe she'll see him that way by the end of the movie. And it just sort of it never goes there. Um, it's unfortunate how things go with her brother because that was another mm-hmm. one of those where it's like, and that's the, that's the emotional center of the movie is that relationship yeah. and that friendship and how it goes. Um, because, you know, it, it, he has a great bonding with him the, after the first class where he's like, yeah, yeah, but I like the class. I'm going to stick around. He's like, you don't like me. You just want to get near my sister. He's like, no, I like you. You're honest and you're shorter than I am. Yeah. <laughs> the, the the whole climax of that relationship with him too is very rambo mm-hmm. it's just from the other angle you know it's like this is what happened to me this is why i want you all gone what are you even doing here yeah. um and that's that's there's there's two sides like if you believed in the vietnam war or you didn't you had both point of views illustrated very well on this movie, and it without making it seem like this, they really believed one way or the other as they were making it. It was just here's the presentation of both sides. Yes, there you go. That, this is it. Yeah. That is what I liked. Is it didn't take a stance on either side being right or wrong. They're just like this is what this person believes. This is what this person believes. Here's both of them. Mm-hmm. Do with that what you will. Yeah, yeah. You know because I mean Tuan doesn't. He likes Adrian. He likes him enough that he gets him out of Jimmy Waz before the bomb goes off. He likes him enough that he runs in and finds him in the woods, um, which is another scene that's both tragic and hilarious, but <laughs> for a lot of different yep. reasons. Um, so he's willing to do those things, yet he still doesn't think the U.S. Army should be there. So like, there's, there's dimension to that character more than just, he's not a one note, and he very easily could yeah. have been in a lesser movie, I feel. Yeah, absolutely. And it shows like one of the things that popped into my mind is I've I've had friends that have traveled the world, you know, mm-hmm. and and different times <laughs> different times different places you have different opinions about uh, governments. Let's oh, just yeah. say governments and the way they behave. And uh at any point he's like he's like I've met so many people and they they basically it comes down to governments, right? While they're sharing <laughs> a beer. Because everybody just wants to survive and have fun and see stuff and eat and whatever, and there's 75 people on the planet can make that end at any moment. And we're yep. just like, why are why? It would be great if we could just walk to the mountains over there, but I can't because reasons. Yep. It's like, I like that they had that going for it. It's like I love you. I don't like your government, and your army being here, but I yeah. like you as a person. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was. That was kind of cool, and it backs up the understanding I have of, of friends who do world travel, and that's what they see. And that feels real. 
that feels like like mm-hmm. real relationship between two human beings and not a scripted yeah. uh you know this is this is what we think a relationship should be yeah they earn it they mm-hmm. show it they show it work itself out throughout the movie and it's it's deserved and it's it's earned by the end of it and the heartbreak is real yes and it's it's like you're a flipping terrorist and i'm upset at you that you led me on like this the whole time it's a breakup yeah, it's a breakup scene between two dudes who were sharing a wonderful relationship, mm-hmm. and one of them is betrayed because the other was cheating. Yeah, with the, with the Viet Cong, you That's... Know, like, clearly know what I'm here to do, and you screwed me over, and I have to go home now. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a perfect way to put yeah. it. It is definitely a breakup. Um, mm-hmm. So I like to capture audio of these movies, and what ends up happening with a movie like this is it's hard to find and pick out the audio to capture because there's so much to get. Is I mean, you could just yeah. the whole movie is a, is one big sound bite, which is brilliant. That's the brilliance of this movie is there's so much you can latch onto. But I have some stuff I got to play. I have to. I have to yes. because oh, they're good. So we're gonna start with a collection of stuff that was Adrian Cronauer while he's on the air doing all of his different bits and his voices. So we'll see if any of these uh, are ones that you would have thought of, if there's anything I missed that you think. Um, so uh, I'm going to start with um, him doing kind of an Ed Sullivan. Uh, and it's 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 a quote that I will often have running through my head. There's a lot of this movie that runs through my head on a regular basis, by the way. Uh, so there's this one. Let's go, let's boogaloo till we puke. <laughs> Just there's little things like that just crack me up. There's his uh, his fashion consultant character. You know this whole camouflage thing for me doesn't work very well. Why is that? Well, because you go in the jungle, I can't see you. <laughs> so good. He is. He is. Uh, okay. Uh, the movie has a lot of anachronisms. Obviously, it's a movie that was made in 1987, set in 1965. So. If you want to have an eye-rolling good time, read the goofs on IMDb because so many of them are like, oh, they used this song and that song didn't come out until March of 1980 or 1965. And blah. I was like, okay, sure, whatever. Um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, well actually in there. <laughs> yeah. But uh, one of those was that Crock-Pots as a brand name weren't really a thing until like 1971. But I don't okay. care. I still use this anytime it's really hot out. Little crotch pot cooking. The <laughs> crotch pot cooking. Like anytime it's super hot outside, like hot and humid. That I can't help but think of that. It's so hot. I could in my shorts. I could cook things. Um, <laughs> crotch pot cooking. Yep. Now that's going to be I in your head forever. Was, yeah, that was so good. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the cla- If I didn't capture this, I wouldn't be allowed to watch the movie ever again. Good morning, Vietnam! Because, yeah, you know, that's a good one. That's a it's great, a great PC startup sound uh, yes, it for is. anyone out there wanting to wanting to get some hacking going on. Uh, I think all <laughs> of us at some point had that as our startup sound. Yeah, definitely had that as my startup sound. Even having not seen the movie, I just liked it. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, his artillery guy was great. It's another one of those that I like to use. I used to, when I did my college radio show, I always thought of this guy calling in. And I had someone similar to it. He was a a kitchen worker at one of the local bars that would call in and just ask me to play anything heavy. He didn't care what it was, as long as it was something heavy. And it just reminded me of this guy. Hey, Bob Fibber! 
Bob, what do you do? I'm in artillery! Thank you, Bob. Can we play anything for you? Anything! Just play it loud, okay? <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> he made all this stuff up, man. I know. Made just, it all up. Just all the time. Um, it's O six hundred. What's the O stand for? Oh my God! It's early. Use that one a few times. I will say that. That's uh, good. His, uh, I didn't capture him actually singing as Ethel Merman. Um, <laughs> even though that was hilarious and that cracked me up, but the, the uh, because the bit. <laughs> The bit is so great. Using that to jam Russian radar is such a ridiculous thing, but it's the reactionary character that he has from the Russian the Russian side of things with just What the hell was that? And now I have that and I can I'm keep I'm keeping that on my soundboard. That is staying. Yes, please. Because that is so good. There's another one is and, and these are my last two. Um no, I have three. Uh there's this one. Picture a man going on a journey beyond sight and sound. He's left Crete. He's entered the demilitarized zone. <laughs> that was so good. Uh, and finally, and these are two. These are two that I love because they're just like you can picture. Picture this in your head is Walter Cronkite. I just want to begin by saying to Roosevelt, to Roosevelt, what it is, what it shall be, what it was. That's <laughs> <laughs> so good. And then there's one more Walter Cronkite, and I. Th- this is another one. It's either. I either talk about uh, crotchpot cooking. Um, I didn't capture it, but the little men in the orange robes just bursting into flames. Oh, uh, yeah, that's a good one. From Roosevelt E. Roosevelt. And finally, if it's hot, I, I, I oftentimes will do this. Weather out there today is hot and shitty with continued hot <laughs> and shitty in the afternoon. <laughs> so good. Uh, just everything he that did in after- those. That was after they told him not to make fun of the weather. Like that was that was yes. afterwards. So he's yeah. continuing to do it. Yep. Oh, just and it was it was hot. Everyone was sweating. Everyone was sweating. Like in real life. Like mm-hmm. there was a, a scene where someone didn't have sweat dripping down the side of there because they shot it in Thailand, which is ninety degrees year round or whatever. Yeah. Like it's always hot, but I... it was different hot. It wasn't. It wasn't Michael Bay hot. You know, right. like or Fast and Furious hot, where everybody just looks greasy. It it's, looked like they were sweating. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's, it's not like real. It's not Hollywood sweat. It's not somebody coming in with no. the glycerin and water and spraying it on them before they do the take. That's actually just Robin Williams sweating through his clothes. <laughs> right, just sweating. Um, <laughs> and and I just love the fact that he ad libbed all of that stuff. Like Robin Williams' brain. Just the way he could come up with a comedic moment and a reference and then slip into a character, even if it's a ridiculous, like that's a ridiculous version of Walter Cronkite, but I don't care. It works and it gets across the point. Um, I remember seeing possibly the greatest impressionist I've ever seen, which is, um, uh, what is his? Frank Caliendo. That guy, yeah. And Frank Caliendo was doing a Robin Williams impersonation and he was on like a back lot type of situation and he's wearing like a Hawaiian shirt and he's doing his Robin Williams. It's just frantic comedy and it's like a tracking shot. He got about two and a half minutes in and was just done. He's like, all right, guys, I can't keep up. Like I can't keep doing this. It's just too much. Uh, so like, and that was Robin Williams could just do that. It was so brilliant. Um, 
He he really had exercised that muscle. You know, yes. like if you watch if you watch Robin Williams long enough, he has bits. He has mm-hmm. anchors mm-hmm. that yeah. he plants that he will go to and you'll know you'll like, oh, okay. It's what, he's real funny, but he's done this real funny several times. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can find how he maps it out. But he he the magic behind him was he had an insane level of pop culture understanding. Like yes. it, uh, he collected pop cultures, glued itself into his brain, and never came out. And he had no filter. So if a joke didn't hit, you didn't have time to realize it didn't because he was already on the next one, and the next one would hit. And so even when they missed, you didn't care because you were on this ride, or he's yep. just going so fast, you don't have time to decide whether he made it or not. So. It was like it was part brilliant. Yes, I'm not taking that definitely brilliant, but you can see the tactics he's got is like points of reference for people, rapid fire delivery, and just you know, no filter. Yep, but it was, I mean, he just he absolutely there's very few people on the planet in history, uh, able to do what he did so well. Amy brings up uh, the live on Broadway special. That is brilliant, and it is. Oh, that's so good. That special, uh, I, I I actually, the first time I watched it, I had to stop halfway through because <laughs> I was hyperventilating from laughing. And here's the thing, and this is, this is the again, that kind of brilliance of the comedy and what you're talking about where it's like, he'll make a joke, and if it doesn't land, it doesn't matter because he's already three jokes past that, and you're, you're laughing from all of those, or you're still yeah. laughing from something before it. But he made a joke. It had something to do. I have to remember it because uh, it had something to do with like the increase in, in violence on TV uh, and violence in society. And what it came out to was um, throwing uh, throwing Hannibal Lecter on Iron Chef and just kick out the jams <laughs> was one of them. And another one was uh, something that would make even Caligula go like, what is wrong with you people? And it was, <laughs> right. it was that reference broke me. The, the Caligula one? <laughs> yeah, Caligula is the one that broke me. And my roommate at the time, as after he pauses it, and once I finally came back to, to life, he's like, how is it that Caligula, a Caligula reference is the one that breaks him? I'm like, I don't know, but it was just, that was the final one. I couldn't take anymore. <laughs> And, and to be fair, you had to be smart and savvy and knowledgeable to catch a Caligula reference and care about it. Like, you had to know that that was like a wild, <laughs> mostly porno from the 70s starring Malcolm McDowell and Helen Mirren. Yeah. Like, you had to know that in order for that to matter to you. But he doesn't care. He's just going to go. And the people that get it, get it. And the people that don't are going to laugh anyway because everybody else is laughing. It's true. It's true. Plus, his <laughs> description of golf is brilliant beyond measure. Uh, the, the golf, the golf was amazing. Everything about that Broadway special was great, but the golf stands out uh, because you can retell that with kids. Yes, <laughs> a lot of the jokes you can't. That one you can do. Yeah, that one you can you can <laughs> massage it around and make it make it you know listenable for kids. Um, yeah, I've got I've got plenty more audio from this movie. We can do it. We can make fun yeah, of. So let's uh, do it. I got more. This is this is a collection of Adrian Cronauer stuff that was not on the air. This is not the riffing. Um, let's see. Oh, when he when Tuan gets him to eat that bowl that he says is still paddling, oh, God. Yeah. and his reaction to it. But this one is what got me. This stuff is burning the hair off my feet. <laughs> it's burning the hair <laughs> off my feet. 
this was also a movie that really showed you just uh, Robin Williams was an exceedingly hairy human being. Like, oh, man. Robin uh, Williams yeah. was always wearing a sweater, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just love crazy. I love that line. It's burning the hair off my feet. <laughs> um, this was uh, another one with Twan. I mentioned this one earlier. I like you because you're honest. Because you're shorter than I am. You look like a before and after picture. Now, come on. Let me buy you a beer. <laughs> you mentioned hot uh, his his uh, version of hot when he gets off the plane with garlic that is warm huh warm no this is a setting for london broil <laughs> that was pretty good that's my second favorite uh i just got off a plane in southeast asia and it's super hot moment the the first one is have you ever seen uh, volunteers with tom hanks i haven't there's no. a, there's a moment in that when he gets off the plane He's like, oh, God, we must be a mile from the sun. And it's just the way he <laughs> delivers that. It's like, yep, that's about right. Um, you can say either of those things when you go to Houston, Texas. <laughs> I know that for a fact. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, oh, and another one, right when he meets Garlic. Well, first thing, Garlic, is you got to requisition a new name. <laughs> got to requisition a new name. Um, Let's see. Oh, uh, making fun of uh, Richard Edson's ears, Private uh, A- uh, Abersold, who was... Oh, um, yeah, I love that guy. He's great. He was uh, Spike in uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie, if you remember that. And the garage attendant in Ferris Bueller as yep, well. garage attendant in Ferris Bueller. Yeah. He's great. He's one of those... This movie had a lot of those character actors, those guys. Mm-hmm. They're they're the, the, the that guy, where you see him and stuff. Yeah. Richard Portnow... Um, mm-hmm. Richard Edson, Robert Wall, uh, you know, there, you see them and you're just like, I just love that guy. Like you just, you, he's right. always, they're always playing somebody fun. Um, Robert Wall, I just kept calling him Arliss cause I didn't know his actual <laughs> name, but I remember him as Arliss. That's a good one. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. that's one that, uh, a lot of younger people wouldn't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I never watched it, but I remember the commercials and stuff. Oh yeah. But when he first sees him and he's like, who's the guy with the ears? And then his reaction to it as they're walking past just under his breath. You could fly to Guam with us. <laughs> you could fly to Guam with us. <laughs> uh, Robert Wall. <laughs> so good. The first time uh, Marty Lee Dier, uh, Dier, Drywitz uh, meets him. Listen, could you do me a favor? Can you say something funny right this minute? I doubt it. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> this is great. Um, oh, Okay, uh, this is another one I like to use a lot, even though I can't really use it in context. It's just funny to me. What does three up and three down mean to you, Airman? End of an inning. <laughs> That's such a good joke, and the reaction shot is what sells it. Because there's that second there where Sergeant Major Dickerson is like, he's right. Damn it. Yeah, he's got it. It's a little, it's like a brief pause. There's a, a good <laughs> breath in the middle. Uh, and finally, the the last Adrian Cronauer one, um, my favorite one uh, of all of these. Seeing as how the VP is such a VIP, shouldn't we keep the PC on the QT? Because if it leaks to the VC, you can end up an MIA, and then we'd all be put on KP. <laughs> so good. And what I love that was, about that was the Hawk, right? That was to Bruno. Yes, at that the was end, the end. Yeah. And the best part about that one is he delivers that perfectly, and then it's just silence. Until Hawk is leaving the room, and as he's leaving, everyone just bursts out laughing. It's so it's so good. Um, let's see. Uh, I got a couple Hawks. Um, That's good. a joke. I was hoping you had a few Maybe. of him. 
That's a joke. <laughs> That's a joke, right? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> uh, when when uh, they cut to Hauk and um, Abersold, and uh, Abersold's like, he's really funny. Oh, you know he's really funny. Uh, he, he's like a Marx brother. And which Marx brother would that be, Private? Zeppo? Zeppo. <laughs> uh, th- this was a good one because he's so proud of this. Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It just... It, <laughs> you know this person. Like, you, yes. you've met one of these oh, before. Absolutely. Like, I... We we all know that person is like I'm funny, and here's all the reasons why I am. Here's all the proof that I am funny. Yeah, I have credentials. (laughs) Okay, good Um, for you. Also, I cannot hear the word cappuccino without hearing this. Cappuccino coffee. I I just it's the way he pronounces cappuccino. Kills cappuccino coffee. Cappuccino coffee. So it's another one that's going to live on the. the old soundboard for a while. Yeah, it should. Um, garlic. A whole life passed before my eyes, and it wasn't even interesting to me. <laughs> That's good. That's great because you just had that whole scene where your anxiety is through the roof, and then that's oh, his just, reaction yeah. to it. It's like, and he doesn't let that go either. He just keeps talking yeah. about it. <laughs> just like, like life well, nobody's listening. <laughs> Yeah, and he's explaining scenes from it, and you're like, eh. <laughs> um, oh, did I? I think, hold on. I, yeah, I did that one already. Um, I, of course, I capture silly laughs every time I hear them. So here's garlic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which, that one's silly. This one's annoying, and I may never play this again. <laughs> because. Yeah, Robert Wolves. Awful honky laugh. Yeah, and again, it's a choice. He made that choice. Um, good for yeah. you, Robert. But uh, I don't ever want to hear that again. Um, what was waiting to something? I'm waiting to die. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was good. That that <laughs> like when guy telling the guy about the uh, yeah, like she's stabbing you. She's stabbing <laughs> you with the knives. I'm waiting to die. The line before that that he has too is great because. Uh, they're learning English, and he says, "I will remain reticent." I'm like, "Yes, English speakers don't use that word." <laughs> no, so you that don't one... learn English the way we speak English. No, it's, you don't. It's real tragic. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, I've got a couple of Jimmy Wah quotes because Jimmy Jimmy Wah was a, a hor- horribly underutilized character, and yes. yet he was on the screen like the perfect amount of time. Um, mm-hmm. But when he first comes in, now you say hi to me, then you smile. He does that as he's walking away. Is either one of us named Earl? Uh, he just calls everyone Earl. And <laughs> and I'm sorry, like, the joke at the time was funny, but if you know who Walter Brennan is, um, that whole bit is even more hilarious. So oh, uh, man. look up Walter Brennan um, after the show, and then you'll realize how hilariously funny it is that Jimmy Wan wants naked pictures of Walter Brennan. Um <laughs> Because it's just such a silly thing. And then, of course, Jimmy Wah. Home of his shiny green suit. <laughs> with his shiny green suit. Yeah. Uh, and I have two more. And one is uh, Sergeant Major Dickerson. That is humor. I recognize <laughs> that. <laughs> it's like a robot. Yeah, exactly. 
and I would be remiss if I didn't have at least one General Taylor quote, one Noble Willingham sound clip, because the, the man was a walking soundbite. I know Nixon personally. Well, I wouldn't buy an apple from the son of a bitch, and I consider him a good, close personal friend. <laughs> He's got that Texas accent, too, that, like, Texas drawl, yeah. just a little bit of it that just makes that even per- better. The good, close personal it's, friend. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I wouldn't buy an apple from that SOB. <laughs> I had to remember that one. Yes, absolutely. Uh, this movie's just, <laughs> it, it's interesting because it, the first half of this movie is so much fun. There's so much fun from the moment it starts until that one hour mark. And the second that yeah. bomb goes off and it flips, it goes from just being a fun movie to being a movie that cap, like, like grabs you uh, and makes you pay attention to it for another hour. And mm-hmm. it's interesting to have a comedy that's two hours long. Most of them don't. Yeah. Most of the time when you have something that's labeled a comedy, it's not going to be that long because, and it's because that second half has so much more drama to it that they can stretch that out and make that work and it not feel, it doesn't feel overly long. It's paced out pretty well. Yeah. I was expecting a 90 minute movie. That was a comedy. Cause I, I, knowing nothing. I mean, I didn't look up anything ahead of time. I was looking, I was looking at a night. I was like 90 minutes. I was like two hours. Oh, wow. We're, this is, we're in it. <laughs> I'm in it for the long haul. Um, wh- one other thing that, that stands out, you talked about the, the, the turning point. We talked about that a couple times, the bomb going off. Another yeah. thing that really we haven't mentioned yet was what a wonderful world, mm-hmm. uh, playing over top of just scenes of chaos, yes. uh, in Vietnam. And you want like, after we've come back out of our, 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 our hour mark of the bomb and stuff, and we're kind of having a good time again, then there's the, what a wonderful world playing with just bombs and people running and hungry people in the streets and all this stuff and you're sobered up again yep i thought that was kind of an interesting choice it was and and i think that this is still relatively early in barry levinson's career and so you're seeing some of the stuff that he's able to kind of refine and do better and things like wag the dog down the road um that but you're seeing the seeds of it here and i love i love seeing early on in a director or an actor's career um, and seeing some of the stuff that they're where, where it's like, Oh, this is a director that's going to be good. And now you can mm-hmm. go back and kind of appreciate that. Yeah. They still had some of that early on and that's what let them have the career they did. I talked about this a couple weeks ago with universal soldier. That movie's not great, but it's entertaining, but Roland, you could yeah. see the seeds of what Roland Emmerich could do. Now, whether you like Roland Emmerich or not, and you like his disaster movies, or Midway was surprisingly good, by the way. If you, uh, I, I recommend seeing Midway. Um, oh, wow. Okay. But in, in Universal Soldier, you're seeing the beginnings of that style that he has and that eye for visuals that he has. It's kind of like going back and watching uh, the first Bad Boys and realizing... Yeah, okay, this guy Michael Bay can can shoot action. Now, he kind of became the snake eating his own tail and went too far, but for a while there he could do that, and it's just cool to see that. And this is another one of those where you're seeing the, in my opinion, probably, I don't know if it's the best version of the Robin Williams formula in this movie, but it's, it's the upper echelon. It's the upper tier of that for me because it balances yeah. things really well. And but it's the one that, that displays Robin Williams in the right amounts for mm-hmm. the right amount of time 
with the right pacing. I think pacing with him is important. Yes. And Dead Poet Society did it really well. Mm-hmm. Um, but even even that one, it was a lot. It was a lot more about the kids. I mean, Robin was the the linchpin of the whole thing, but the kids yeah. were really important to that movie. But then you get to stuff like you mentioned earlier, Jack. And like Bicentennial Man and stuff, those went for the Robin Williams formula, but they, Jack went way too deep, um, way, way too deep and didn't comedy enough. Mm-hmm. And Bicentennial Man did kind of the same thing. It made an epic movie about a robot, like this tragic story starring Robin Williams. And you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. This is, uh, it, but it was all attempts at that formula. So this one, I think you're right. I think this one may be one of the best examples of that dramatic comedy balance. And I think. A big reason for that is what we mentioned earlier, where it doesn't take a side either way and it doesn't become preachy. There's never that yeah. moment. Like, they could have easily had a scene or some moment where he stands up to to Sergeant Major Dickerson and he says some and has that profound moment, like uh, like the courtroom scene in Patch Adams, right? That sure. kind of thing. Yeah. And it never went to that point. It kind of kept yeah. itself middle of the road and just let Adrian be a character. And even when he gets dressed down and loses at the end, his whole thing is like, All right. And then as he's leaving, he gives one parting shot and goes out the door and he gets Mm -hmm. to then go have his softball game. He gets to kind of wrap that up with the, his English class. And that I think is what, what makes this kind of that upper tier for me is that it didn't get to that preachy stage and it never felt like it had to stand on a soapbox, but it could still deliver a very important message while it was. Yeah. That baseball game was incredibly charming. Oh, very much. Like that was, I didn't know that was coming. And I was like, this is great. The whole uh, baseballs are supposed to be harder and smaller. Like, this is all we have. Yeah. This is uh, just take, please take it. Like, <laughs> I didn't know if that was some of that felt like maybe that, that Viet or Thai actor didn't speak enough English or understand the scene well enough and kept going. Like, it sort of felt ad libby. <laughs> yeah. I was like, is he going to. Part of me felt like, like, Cronauer was about to flip because he's, <laughs> he's having to. He's having that stressed out look on his face. I'm like, yes. oh no, this is where he like cracks and we have another dramatic event. And he didn't. <laughs> it was just like, please, I will pay you to take the take the melon and throw it. Like, just let's do this. I love that. That's so great. That that character that really actor good. was just so charming. And he was just so, so wonderful. Um yeah. this this movie's a lot of fun. If you haven't seen it, it is streaming um for free, I think, on like IMDB TV, maybe. IMDb with ads, yeah. yeah. And I will say this: the IMDb TV ads are not bad. They're they're, they're not bad. Yeah, I don't notice too much trouble with them. I um, skipped it and just paid three dollars because I was sure. like, I want to be sucked in, and I'm doing this for a show, and I don't oh, yeah. want to get in thirty seconds. I can be on my phone and then miss something because so, I'm that person. Sure. So I was like, sure. I want to be like in it. Yeah. But it's it's widely available to rent or or buy, um, and I do think that if you are a Robin Williams fan, you've probably already seen this. But if you haven't for some reason, which is possible, again, this movie is over thirty years old, which is another uh, kind of crazy Gross. thing. Granted, it's set yeah. in the '60s, but man, it like the comedy in it doesn't feel old either. Um, and uh, but it's definitely worth seeing. I'm glad that you finally got to see it. Uh, yeah, because I know we talked. I'm glad like, I did too. Like you said, we talked about it a few times. You'd brought that up, and that mm-hmm. was I was genuinely surprised when you said you hadn't seen that movie. So yeah, there's there's plenty of there's plenty of stuff that I can surprise you that I haven't seen. I may have <laughs> seen a lot of stuff, but there's so many like, like definitely things that my friend group has seen that they're like, what? <laughs> you know, definitely that. 
Um, oh, and I have to mention Don and Dan Stanton, the the twins. Yes. Oh my gosh. Because I forgot about them. Oh, they're they're like they're most known for Terminator Two from a few years later, mm-hmm. um, which was a, a awesome. That was a cool thing that uh, Cameron liked to do, which was if he had, if he could, he'd cast twins. He did it with Linda Hamilton, <laughs> um, and actually had her twin in a deleted scene. That I, that is amazing. But yeah, Don and Dan Stanton, and just their characters, they get to just be deadpan. Uh, there's so much fun in this. the The first time you meet them, Adrian Cronauer's reaction is just great. He turns around and he wants to say something. He's like, "No, never mind. No, it's not. I'm not. Yeah, I'm just gonna let that go." Because they both, like, nod at him at the same time, just, like, wait a minute. (laughs) So good. And then the scene later on when he comes in and he's like, what can I say, fellas, except Haya? And it's Haya, Haya. It's like, all right, which one of you is throwing his voice? (laughs) Like, he's (laughs) trying to get them to break and they never break. It's so good. Oh. (laughs) I'm I'm so glad you watched this and thank you for coming on. I it's always fun talking with you about movies. We've had a good time every oh, single time. So you know, yeah, uh, it's good that there's plenty you haven't seen because we'll we'll fix those. I love me I love me some movies and I'm I'm happy to dive way deeper than anybody else I know. <laughs> so these conversations are good for me because I'll try to have these things with Stephen. Like we should do this. She's like, I just I'm I'm there with you. I'm listening. I'm like, but I need a back and forth. <laughs> On the intensity of this one scene. Why do you think yeah, I started so this, this show? Good. I started this show <laughs> I because this I need out. this. I need these <laughs> I need conversations. Um, so speaking of shows, you, you normally have a show going on. You're kind of in flux right now with it uh, a little bit. But, but yeah. let people who don't yeah. know know about that and what you kind of what Sure. Stuff you do. I'll tell you this. Yeah, I'll tell you this. Swing on over there to Two Dorks TV on Twitch. And just throw us a follow. Uh, every, uh, uh, most Thursdays, we do a show called Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. It's an odd news and, and fun stuff show. It's I say odd news. It's really just me and my sister-in-law bantering back and forth about the nonsense going on in our lives, anchored by odd news. Yes. Uh, and I think that works pretty well. That's a pretty good description. But we also do some streaming and some fun stuff over there, too. Uh, so yeah, so swing on by and say hello. But yeah, like you said, we've had a lot of life shenanigans around here recently. It's kept us from being able to get a show out the door, uh, at any kind of, you know, normal cadence, but we're there. So subscribe. Absolutely. Like and subscribe. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's super fun. I, I really enjoy horseshoes and hand grenades, uh, whether I can catch it live or I, I listen to it after the fact, when I listen to it after the fact, I end up talking to the podcast anyway. So <laughs> yelling at your radio. Yeah, a little bit. It's kind of funny. Um, but yeah, it's a great show. <laughs> Definitely worth a check out. And uh, eventually at some point, we're probably going to try and get uh, side quests back off the, the ground. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, yeah. We definitely want to. That was a fun. That was a fun show. Because that was a fun show. Uh, it's just getting uh, Jacob, you know, at, at ever having time to do anything. Uh, but having a co-host with small children that that makes things a lot more difficult than it than it could be. Yes, it does. Like <laughs> it, it very much does. But you know, we we love Jacob, and we wouldn't do the show without him. So no, absolutely not. No, and it's probably not his fault anyway. It's mostly mine. We'll get there <laughs> eventually. It's all good. It's all good. Uh, but yeah, definitely uh, Twitch.tv/slash Two Dorks. Two Dorks, right? Just Two Dorks. Two Dorks. T- two Dorks TV. Two Dorks TV. Check that out. Some, somebody squatting Two Dorks. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Uh, well, um, next week uh, is episode number one hundred and fifty of this show, which Holy is crazy. Crap! And uh, my guest is going to be Josh Monroe, aka Joosh. He is coming on because uh, I have <clears throat> I have never seen Train Spotting, and I'm going to fix that. 
and he brought it up and uh, I thought, yes, that's a perfect thing to do. And I will bring it up. Um, when, uh, when we start the show, I have a, a, a fun, uh, reason also to have Josh on for episode 150. So that's, it's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, that's going to be next week. Uh, and if you enjoy the show and you want to catch it live and be like Phelan or Danny Ora or JF Dubow, Ace Tigress is in there, Nisbet in the chat, um, and, and watch us live, uh, Sunday nights, 8 PM Eastern time, twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. And you can watch the show live. It comes out as a podcast on Wednesdays. I also now have uh, a couple of different ways that you can support the shows and streams that I do if you want to. There's Kofi, ko-fi.com slash TV's Travis if you want to buy me a cup of coffee or store.streamelements.com slash TV's Travis and you can get merch. I got some t-shirts, uh, coffee mug, and uh, I'm working on new new designs and getting some stuff for the Highlander show. Uh, available in there as well. Audie and I are working on some some different t-shirts to do for that. So, uh, you know, some fun stuff there um, if you would like. And uh, and I appreciate that too. So, And also, you can find me on Twitter at TV's Travis, and I will talk movies, pop culture, uh, Highlander, music, video games. I don't care. I'll talk about you. Talk about stuff with anybody. Uh, mini painting. I took the plunge and have bought my first Warhammer um, stuff. It is on its way here. Uh, it's a Warhammer Age of Sigmar set. So I now will have no money ever again. But, uh, <laughs> you and you and Amy can do your uh, your your dual stream again. Yes. I'm excited. Oh, I'll be building and painting those for sure on stream. Uh, so that'll be fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, until next week, uh, episode number 150 and train spotting. Uh, Steven, thank you once again for being on. This has been tons of fun. Thank you, sir. I was happy to be here. All right. Uh, now, remember to enjoy your movies. And if you can get out, get out and be kind. All right. Let's be excellent to each other. More dire need of a blowjob than any white man in history. That's funny. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>